Join me as we hear the word of the Lord. Romans 13, the first seven verses. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities have exist, have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and he will commend you, for he's God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Well, good morning. I've been told that if you want to avoid controversy, then you don't bring up either religion or politics. Well, I think I'm in trouble today because I'm going to talk about both. It is a very interesting election year, isn't it? Most interesting that I've experienced, at least in my memory, with uh, the possibility we will either elect the first woman president ever in America or the first African-American president ever in America, or the oldest president <laughs> ever elected in America at age 72, who also happens to be a war hero, injured and imprisoned by the North, North Vietnamese, tortured for five and a half years. So it's really a fascinating year. And it raises the question for us as Christians, how should we respond to politics? How should we respond to government, who, how do we decide who to vote for? Should we even vote? And maybe a bigger question is, how should Christians respond to the government at all? How should we respond? In uh, Rome, as this book was written, the book of Romans, the people had to, they were required to be, as Roman citizens, to bow down to the emperor, to declare the emperor as, Lord, as worship. Well, we don't have to do that here. We don't have that pressure. And yet I find that many Christians get confused today in our culture because many Christians have intermingled politics in their Christian faith as if somehow God and country were the same and that to be a good Christian you have to vote a certain way. And I think that's wrong. That's Confusing. They've interwoven patriotism with their faith as if somehow God was a Republican 
Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but he's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat either. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. Well, let's think about this. How should we as Christians respond? Let me just give you some of the responses throughout history, the way Christians have approached government. One of the ways is that some Christians have seen all government as evil. Therefore, they have believed throughout history that it is wrong to pay taxes. It is wrong to submit to government in any way. Jesus is Lord. All worldly government is evil. And therefore, we are to distance ourselves completely from government. That's one approach. Another approach that many have taken is that they insist that the government should be godly that it should be righteous, that it should reflect God's rule, that it should be a theocracy where God is in charge. And so they believe that as Christians we should fight to make the government submit to biblical principles through legislation, lobbying, resistance, protest, in whatever means we have at our disposal. We should make the government a theocracy. We should make it reflect God's rule. That's been another approach of some Christians. A common approach, I think, for many of us has been just basically an apathy towards government. I'll do my own thing, hope the government doesn't bug me. I won't really vote or participate in government in any way. My vote doesn't matter anyway. Government's just a pain, so I'll just try to avoid dealing with it if I possibly can. A number of Christians respond that way. And some have chosen to respond by seeing the government as though it's a mixture of good and evil. It's placed there by God with some clear purposes. And therefore, our job is to seek to be good citizens, to promote the good in the government in any way we can and avoid the evil, encourage the good in government and be a good citizen. Now... I believe our passage today where Paul directly approaches this subject encourages us towards this last possibility, this last approach. So let's look together at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that you are the sovereign Lord over all nations, over everything. And Lord, as we look into your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us in our thinking that we might be not conformed to this world, but be transformed in how we approach government. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to set the context for you, just to remind you what we've been looking at the last few weeks, where we looked at Romans 12 the last few weeks, and we looked at how we are to live out this grace that we saw in chapters 1 through 11, how God in his mercy has poured out his grace through the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Our lives are changed. We're forgiven. We're given righteousness as a gift. All the amazing things that God has done. Then in chapter 12, Paul begins a section to say, okay, what does that look like in our lives practically? What does a transformed life look like in all the different spheres of life? It began by saying our job is to lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice and not to be conformed to the world, verse 2 of chapter 12, but be 
not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he described that we're to do that by how we think about ourselves, that our thinking about ourself needs to be sober, correct, and we are to have transformed relationships with one another, that we are to love and serve one another. And in particular, we're to love even our enemies, even those who harm us. So that's what we looked at the last few weeks. But it raises some questions for us. If Jesus is really Lord, we're submitting to him, we're giving our lives to him, then what does that mean about how I relate to the government? If Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord, then how do I relate to government? And if I'm to love my enemies, we're not to take vengeance because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That was in chapter 12. How does God take vengeance in this world? We know eventually he'll come, he'll judge evil and all that, but what about in this world? How does he judge evil? Well, this passage today in chapter 13, 1 through 7, answers those questions. So let's look at a Christian response to government. It begins this way, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. just want to highlight the words of that little phrase there. Who is to submit to governing authorities? Everyone. Everyone. He, he doesn't limit it. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you're under a fascist regime or a communist regime or a democratic regime or whatever, you respond differently. No, he says everyone, no wonder what government you're you're under, no wonder what country you're in, you are to submit to the governing authorities. He says literally it's every soul is to submit. That word soul is used for the whole person in the scriptures, but it kind of reflects especially the inner person. I think this helps us understand that submission has to do not just with outwardly conforming, but inwardly, I'm really ticked or rebelling. (laughs) He's saying, no, our attitude needs to be one of submission. Then he says, submit to the governing authorities. Submit himself to the governing authorities. What? What does that word submit mean? Well, the word has to do with voluntarily placing yourself under someone else's authority, having an attitude of letting them have authority in your life. It's recognizing and responding appropriately to that authority. Now, let me say that it doesn't mean to submit doesn't mean necessarily you will obey everything that the government tells you to do. But it means you have an attitude of obeying as much as you possibly can. And it does mean that if you choose to disobey, you will submit to the consequences of that disobedience. You won't try to destroy or undermine the government, but if you have to disobey, you will submit to whatever consequences are brought upon your life. It speaks again of your attitude. That's what submission's about. It says submit to the governing authorities. Who are the governing authorities? Well, it really means any level of government, from the president in our country 
to the senators on down, that whatever the government, the judges, and you keep on going down to the policeman that stops you when you're speeding. <laughs> the mayor, councilmen, legislatures, judges, etc. These are all governing authorities. At any level of government, it says we are to submit to them. So Paul says our response is to be a, one of submission to the governing authorities. But he doesn't leave us there. He gives us, why, he gives us three reasons why we should submit to the governing authorities in the next few verses. The first reason we are to submit to governing authorities is because it's part of our submission to God. It's part of our submission to God. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 1. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Just in case we don't get it, he says it another way. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And just to reinforce it, he says in verse 2, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Who puts officials in power? Is it our votes? Is it the Electoral College? Is it appointee? Are they appointed by someone? Is it the legislature? Who is it that puts officials in power? What Paul is saying here is God does. God establishes authorities. God puts people in authority, not us. What he's really saying, and you've got to get this because this is so important for us to understand governments, is that God is above any government position in any country. He is over it. He establishes it. He instituted it. He commands that it be there. He put it there. He is over that government position. Well, it may raise a question for you. Well, if God establishes it, then what should we vote? I mean, what difference does our vote make? Well, I think we should vote because I think it's a privilege in our society to have a voice and to do what we can in response to God to influence the government and to encourage good government, good leadership. We have a place for that. But if God is sovereign, if God institutes authorities, if God establishes them, he's over them, this raises another question. Well, does that mean the best, most godly person always ends up in power? No. I wish it would happen that way, but it doesn't. You see, it doesn't. In fact, we can say that every leader is a mixture of good and evil, and of course there's many evil leaders that have led countries and governments, from Hitler to Joseph Stalin to Pol Pot in Cambodia, Idi Amin, Saddam Hussein, and on and on. Okay, if God establishes leaders, then how could he let leaders like that be in power? That's a difficult question. But I think we see in the scriptures that God sometimes allows even evil people to be in power because he has even a greater purpose. It may be a purpose of bringing judgment on people. It may be to highlight the evil 
so that righteousness will shine more brightly? There may be a number of reasons, but God is sovereign, and sometimes in his sovereignty, he allows some very bad leaders to take power. But ultimately, it's because he's working out a bigger plan for his kingdom. Let me just highlight for you some verses that help us see that God really is over all authorities. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, we see this. Several places in Daniel, actually, but in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, 20 and 21, Daniel says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. And he said that as he was working in a government position for Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, ruler. Jesus, before standing before Pilate, as Pilate was about to judge him and condemn him, Pilate says this in verse 10, Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. You see, Jesus very clearly states that Pilate, who seems so powerful, this Roman governor has no power at all except what God has allowed him to to have. Throughout the pages of Scripture, as God works with His people Israel, you see over and over again the most powerful nation on earth is used simply as a tool for God's purposes. Whether it's Pharaoh, who at that time ruled Egypt, greatest kingdom at the time, God uses it simply to bring His people out of slavery. God uses Him. Under Sennacherib, the greatest ruler of his time, the Assyrian ruler. God simply uses them as his tool and at one point defeats 185,000 Assyrians under Hezekiah. Nebuchadnezzar, who was the greatest ruler of his day, leader of Babylon, was simply a tool in God's purposes. And we could go on and on. Cyrus, Darius, Persian rulers, God used them to set the people free and to bring them back into the land. And, and on and on, we see throughout the scriptures that God is over all powers, no matter how powerful they may look. So we should submit to governments because ultimately what he's saying is that to rebel against the government is to rebel against God. But this raises a question. A lot of questions. <laughs> what about civil disobedience then? Is there ever a place for a Christian to disobey the government? We are always to submit, but is there a place to disobey the government? Is that okay for a Christian? And again, the testimony of Scripture is very clear. Yes. There is a place, a time to disobey the government. Exodus chapter 1 the Hebrew midwives were told to kill all the infant males. They disobeyed. God blessed them. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told they had to bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and worship it. 
They chose to disobey. They were thrown in a fiery furnace. And God honored that. And as they said to Nebuchadnezzar, God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your, your statue. Daniel himself, in Daniel chapter 6, was told he could not pray to any god except Nebuchadnezzar himself, and yet he chose to disobey. He prayed to Yahweh, the God of the universe, was thrown in the den of lions, and was spared. He chose to disobey. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were told not to talk about Jesus anymore says it in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the high priest said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And they did. They experienced suffering because of it, but they they did what was right. And that meant disobeying the government. So there's clearly a place for civil disobedience. So how do we summarize this? Well, I think it's clear that we are to, in our submission to the government and ultimately to God, we obey the government as far as we're able to. But when the government requires us to do what God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands, then we must disobey. When the government requires us to do what God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands, then we must disobey. But when we do disobey, to submit means to submit to the consequences, whatever they might be, even if they are imprisonment or death. That's submission to the governing authorities. Some of you have experienced some of that. One person in particular in our congregation this morning has. Nikolai, sitting in the back, he's from Romania, came from communist Romania. He was a veterinarian there. He's now retired, but he was a veterinarian, worked with animals at a prison camp there, doing his job, doing what's right. His boss found him with a Bible, which was forbidden. His boss tried to convince him to give up his Christian faith. Nikolai said to him, Do with me what you will, but I will not give up my faith. In fact, Nikolai said, In fact, you should become a Christian (laughs) to his boss. Well, his boss was confounded by this and like Nikolai, wasn't sure what to do. He said, you cannot work here anymore. He should have been arrested, but the boss said, I will destroy your file so you don't get into trouble. So this isn't in it. But you can't work here anymore. I will help you find another job. I will transfer you somewhere else. Nikolai ended up at a better job, working for the police in a much higher position, in a position where you could not work if you weren't a member of the Communist Party. Nikolai never became a member of the Communist Party. And he continued to live out his faith. What a testimony 
Nikolai, we're glad you're here with us this morning. We should submit to the governing authorities because it's part of our submission to God. As Nikolai submitted to God, whatever, I will follow you first. Secondly, Paul goes on to say, we should submit to the governing authorities to avoid punishment. (laughs) Seems pretty simple. Verse 3 and 4, he says this, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Notice God's pers- Paul's perspective here. The government is God's servant. Government is God's servant. God uses the government to punish evildoers. They're established to applaud good behavior and to punish, avenge evil behavior. Now, as we all know, some governments are better at this than others. Our government has, again, a very mixed track record. It does a fair job at applauding, commending those who do good. It does a fair job at avenging evil, evil behavior. But the reality is this is an evil world. And governments are God's servants, no matter what government it is, to bring order and life and take care of the evil. Now imagine a world where evil has no restraint. Evil has free reign. There, are, there is no government. It's anarchy. And in some places that's happened. What happened? It's crazy. Murders and thieves and abusers get no punishment. It's horrible. And so God establishes government partly to bring order and security in a fallen world so that the gospel can flourish. Even in a terrible regime like Saddam Hussein's in Iraq, some people experience horrible oppression Genocide, even. But he did provide a certain amount of security and order in that world. Again, he should have been far better. I understand that. But understand that every government has that purpose to bring order, security, to bring judgment on evil, and to promote good. And again, every government's mixed in how well they do that. So the encouragement to us is we should follow the laws of the land. We should follow government, we should submit to government to avoid punishment. When you're driving along and you see a policeman, how do you respond? Hit the brake. (laughs) You see, if you're following the law, you have no cause for fear, Paul says. But if you're stretching the limits, then you have reason to fear. Do you cheat a little bit on your taxes, hoping that you won't get caught. Well, if you're reasonably obeying the law, you're doing what's right, you're paying what you owe in taxes, then you have no fear of punishment. That's what he's saying. So we should submit to government because the government has the ability to punish and we, if you want to avoid punishment, then submit to government. Third, he says we should submit to government to keep a clear conscience, verse 5. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also 
And I would say more significantly, because of conscience. More importantly, are you keeping your conscience clear before God? Maybe you have a radar detector and you aren't worried about getting caught. (laughs) Maybe you fudged on your taxes, but you're pretty sure no one's ever going to catch you. But your conscience is not clear. And it's far more important that before God you keep a clear conscience than you get away with something and avoid punishment. And that's what Paul's saying. It's far more important that you keep your conscience clear before God. I am doing the right thing, even though it's difficult. So I'm keeping a clear conscience. I I know some of us think this way. Well, the government misuses my taxes anyway, so I'm justified in just fudging a little bit here. And I've thought that way. I've felt that temptation, as many of you have. But if we give in to that, it violates our conscience and ultimately it does damage to our soul and to our relationship with God. So he says, hey, submit to the governing authorities to keep a clear conscience. Well, then how do we submit? What does submission look like for us? Well, Paul, again, goes on to tell us. He says this in verse 6 and 7. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. It wasn't my plan to teach this passage this week, but apparently it was God's plan. Some of you need to hear this. (laughs) One of the ways, the primary way we submit to the governing authorities is we pay our taxes. It's a clear command. And some of, some of you may be thinking, yeah, but what about the fact they use the taxes wrongly sometimes? They use them to fund abortions, to hand out condoms to children, to support government waste, to help big business, to oppress the poor, to support a war in Iraq. They use it for covert operations, spying on citizens, etc. Well, Paul's writing to the Romans. And their taxes were used to provide roads, armies, stability, freedom to travel, public services like water and other things, which we also experience. But their taxes were also used to fund pagan temples to worship the emperor and other false gods. Their taxes were used for sacred prostitution, for the oppression of the poor, for slavery, and for rich and licentious, evil lifestyles of government officials. And Paul says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Submit. Then he says this, if respect, if you owe respect, give respect. If honor, then honor. So not only are we to pay taxes, but submission means to give respect and honor to authorities as well. And we may think, well, what if they don't deserve it? What if they're bad leaders? What if they're ungodly men or women? Well, again, you have to put yourself in the historical context. Nero, the emperor Nero, was the emperor at this time. Now, he'd only been in office a couple years, but even at this time, it was pretty clear what kind of leader he was going to be. Let me just give you a picture of who Nero was. He became emperor because 
His mother schemed to make him emperor. His mother married the current emperor, Claudius, so that he would adopt Nero and make him the emperor-designate to become the next emperor. Well, then when Claudius thought, no, I really want my own son to become emperor, Nero and his mother poisoned Claudius, killed him. Immediately, Nero was made emperor. And Nero, pretty quickly, when he came into office, killed his half-brothers to make sure that he didn't challenge his authority. He banished his own mother, who got him into office, and a little while later, assisted in murdering her. (laughs) He lived an incredibly immoral life, famous for his immorality. He let his ex-wife be executed after he divorced her. His second wife, who was pregnant with his child, he got angry at her and kicked her repeatedly until she died, so he murdered her. He robbed the nobles in the treasury of Rome. He blamed Christians for a huge fire in Rome. He is the one who started the persecution of Christians that went on for centuries and eventually put Paul, the writer of Romans, and Peter to death, executed them, along with many other Christians. And Paul says, honor and respect the governing authorities. So I think that means that we have no excuse, do we? (laughs) We are to honor governing authorities. We need to be careful about our critical attitude towards whoever God puts in office. And we need to look for ways to honor and respect them. It doesn't mean we ignore bad decisions or evil decisions or wrong decisions, but it means we still show honor and respect to those to whom it is due. Believing, ultimately, that God is working behind the scenes for his greater purposes. How should we relate to government? Through submission, Paul says. Obey as far as you're able. Show respect, pay taxes, and if you must disobey, be willing to submit to whatever those consequences might be. How practically, I want to just give some practical suggestions on how we can respond and serve God with respect to government. Some of you are called to work directly for government, in the government. I was just kind of racking my brain a little bit about people I know here at Cole that are working in government or have worked in government, on the city council, working in the military, working for fish and game, working for the state school board, working for the legislature, working in city maintenance, working in the public schools as administrators and teachers, working for the legal system as judges and as uh, attorneys. And I'm sure there's many, many more, but those are just some that came to mind. If God's called you to work for government, I encourage you to see yourself as a minister being placed there by God to bring God's reign in your sphere. It's a marvelous thing that God's placed you there. Be God's servant where God's placed you. Some are called to that. Some are called to directly influence the government through lobbying, through working in a campaign, through helping get certain bills through the legislature, through other means of trying to improve the government or hold the government accountable. 
If God calls you to that, do your best. Serve God there. Minister there in His name. But all of us are called to be good citizens, to honor our government, to pay our taxes. And in 1 Timothy 2, let me read that to you, verse 1 and 2, we are to pray for our governments. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. All of us are called to be good citizens. All of us are called to pray for our government that we might be able to live quiet and godly lives, that the kingdom might be expanded no matter what country we live in. And I would suggest, though he doesn't command it, that in our country, we, because we have the ability to vote, we ought to vote. We ought to do our best to encourage good government and to discourage bad government. Why? Why should we submit to government? Why should we do all this? Because ultimately, we believe God is sovereign. He's over governments. He's placed governments there. And he's called us to be a light in the darkness to be used to bring in the kingdom of God, cooperating with him, even as he uses government to do that. But ultimately, because we know every government is a mixture of good and evil, that, it just is. doesn't matter what government it is. There is no godly government. There is no God's choice for government, ultimately. Ultimately, we are looking forward as Christians, as believers, to that day when Jesus will return, new heavens and new earth will create it, and there will finally be the righteous government that we all long for. And we will reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. That will be a glorious day when finally there will be the righteous government that we all long for. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord that you are sovereign over governments because otherwise this would be a pretty scary world to live in. As we consider governments being such a mixture of good and evil, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be the kind of citizens that you called us to be, to learn really what it means to submit to the governing authorities, that you might use us to further goodness in this world and to overcome evil. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is Lord and Savior over all the kingdoms of the earth. Amen.